1 John 3, verses 1 to 3 are the main verses. If you use that Bible on your table, it will be on page 1211-1211. And we'll read from 1 John 3, 1 to 3. Now this is, I believe, the same John who's always called John in our New Testament. And he says, see what kind of love the Father has given to us, what we should be called, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears... We shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Now, we'll read some more from that momentarily, but let us talk for just a minute about this children of God reference that John makes. If we are children of God, and you're a child of God, and I'm a child of God, and Vicky's a child of God, then what does that make us? Go ahead, say it out loud. I'll listen. Family. family, right. And so when we talk about being the family of God, that's what we mean. Now, the cool thing about the church family, the really amazing thing about the church family is it's all of that, but it's so much more. And if there's a better sign of what it means to be the body of Christ, I don't know it. But we do life together as a family. Now, a lot of people uh, might resent the idea when I say welcome family, good morning family or whatever, because it sort of sounds exclusive. And I don't mean it that way if you're perhaps a first time attender. I don't mean it that way. This is a family that is open to everybody. This, this is a family, if you'll pardon me for an extemporaneous sort of momentary lapse of, of escaping my notes. I just want to say that that the body of Christ is even more ubiquitous than McDonald's. You know what I'm trying to say here? If people go to McDonald's in foreign countries and they're expatriates and Americans or whatever, if they go there, it's for one reason and one reason only. They just want to order something that they know what to expect, right? This is why there are chains because sometimes we just like to know what to expect. And so I said a minute ago in, in uh, the time right before the message that if the church has done anything to help evil prosper in these times, it has to be that we've stumbled. We've sort of lost our universal message. We've lost our universal presence. We're the family of God because we share the same Holy Spirit that was given to us on Pentecost, that's given to each of us when we're born again as Christian believers. And this is our universal presence. This is what the word Catholic really means. Now, I mean no discredit to the Roman Catholics. I'm simply saying that when we use the Nicene Creed, for example, and we talk about one holy Catholic church, it's intentionally spelled with a small c because it's a Latin word that means the body of Christ or the church universal. And we are that, and we're never more potent when we are that on purpose. Then we're more ubiquitous than McDonald's. Now we're talking about a universal family of faith, a place where Christians can be family 
even if they're worshiping in a foreign country and they are brand new to a particular setting. Where the family of God is, you are family. And again, if Christians have stumbled, it's because we haven't been very good at being a family. And we've done a church thing really well. No discredit to the experience yesterday, but I could not help but notice as we were going through the Mass that no explanations were given for anything. Nothing in the printed material, nothing in the worship activity. At some point, I could even sense the, pa the pastor or the priest's discomfort because he was beginning to realize that several people there weren't quite sure what to do. And so he tried to explain it, and no offense, but he didn't explain it very well, did he? In fact, I have people come up to me afterwards and say, is it me or did he make some of the confusion worse? <laughs> No discredit to him. Rather, my point is to say that this isn't a problem with Catholics or non-Catholics or any of that. What I'm saying is, is the family needs to be a family. And when that happens, we realize those little things and we develop a sensitivity about it because I want you to know that I remarked as I was listening, I thought to myself as I was listening in the mass yesterday, that I never heard a word that wasn't a universal truth where I worship too. Well, there came a moment when we found a moment of difference that's pretty fundamental, and I'm not going to talk about that today because that's not my purpose. But what I want you to know is that 99% of what I celebrated as I worshiped and mourned and looked to the church for leadership in the passing of my father-in-law, I heard a voice that I recognized. I heard truths that I believe. We are a family of God. We have a lot in common. And more than you would imagine, frankly. And so the world has never needed the family of God more than it needs us right now. It's never needed a universal brotherhood, if you understand my meaning, than it needs right now of Christian believers. People who love the Lord. Who, like my father-in-law, think of others first and the Lord above all. And then, then... The family of God is a force of profound significance. So how can we here in this family, in this particular house of worship, this home, make all feel welcome and safe and secure and loved, even while we are eagerly and sincerely exploring our doctrines and standards and trying to make sure that we secure fundamental truth for the sake of God's glory. It is possible for us to say this is true and trustworthy because it is of the Lord and still love universally just as Christ did for the woman at the well, for the leper, for the deaf and the blind for those uh, sinners he thought of when he was dying on the cross and said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. We can be all of that and still stand as devoted lovers of our God and King in the absolute certainty that what he says is true and unchanging. We can be all of that. You see, 
There's another way that the church has stumbled that we've got to be mindful of as the family of God. I want to read a little more to you from John. He says later in the same passage, everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness and sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning and no one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning for God's seed abides in him and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. But this, it is evident who are, who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. What is John saying? First of all, let us clarify what sin is. So ultimately, sin is an offense against God. We could talk about the kinds of sins, and some churches and some Christians love to get into legalistic debates about what's a sin and what's not a sin. And I think in a way I addressed that a moment ago. We love unconditionally as Christ has loved, but we uphold his absolute truth with conviction for love of him who gave us the truth. But we are not in a position and do not possess the authority to condemn each other for lifestyles, for habits, for those kinds of things. Rather, we are truth seekers who preach and speak truth in love, and we allow the Holy Spirit that flows from us through truth in love to convict. And let the Spirit do the work of changing a person's nature. Let the Spirit do the work. Let us be a family where you can safely explore who you are and who you are becoming. You know, one of the things that we've noticed yesterday and in the days preceding the funeral is that my family was gathered there. My daughter-in-law told me yesterday, well, I got to back up just a little bit. So our little friend, Rachel, who has Down syndrome, came up to me and she said, hello, Ed. That's my dad. She came up to my son, Jonathan, and she said, Hi, Dan, how you doing? Well, the beautiful thing about people with Down syndrome is that time sort of stands still with them. And, you know, I, she walked away after giving me a wonderful hug, as she always does, and, and uh, she's a dear family friend, and, and uh, so is her mother. And, and Katie, my daughter-in-law, looks over at me and she says, you do look a lot more like your dad now. <laughs> Leave it to a beautiful human with no inhibition and an unfiltered mind to say what is true. Like it or not, people, you look like your parents. <laughs> Young people, like it or not, you're going to look like your parents. you probably even act more like them than you ever thought possible. And you know what? 
The family of God is the same way. We are sanctified so that we are taking on the image of our Lord Jesus Christ. That in sanctification, we're taking on the appearance of our Heavenly Father, our elder brother, Lord Jesus. We are taking on the personality traits. We're looking and acting more and more like members of the family of God. And guess what? When I watched all of Laura's siblings and children, I, right before we left her mother's house yesterday, Laura's mom was pushing a couple of pictures around and I looked at a picture of my father-in-law, Sam, when he was probably, I don't know, 18. It looked like a high school picture. And I looked at it and I said, oh my gosh, that's Laura's sister Felicia's youngest son, Sammy, of all people. Young Sam, looks exactly like old Sam at that same age. It was remarkable. It's the funny thing about family, isn't it? We look a lot alike. You can tell in most cases that we're family. And it would be awesome if the family of God was like that, wouldn't it? Wouldn't it be amazing if you could tell that we were all children of God through Christ, our big brother, and that we are one body? Different in many ways. You know, that's the amazing thing about Laura's big family. It's like a little society. Each personality is different and each lifestyle is somewhat different, but there's no mistaking that they're siblings and that their spouses fit them well and that their children are the offspring of this lineage. And you can't miss it. What if the church family of God was like that? Sure, some will be Catholic, some will be Presbyterian, and some will be Baptist, and some will be Methodist, and some will be, you know, just whatever, you know, whatever choice they make, whatever choice of religious activity or spiritual life they have, if they are born again believers, if they are children of God because the Holy Spirit has brought new life into them, they're my brothers and sisters. And in time, that same Holy Spirit would just likely make us start resembling each other a little bit. And how bad would that be? Then you'd feel welcome here or wherever Christians gather in Christ's name. And wouldn't that be amazing? But John's words, which are kind of harsh, basically say that when we are committed to offending God, we look more like the devil. We look more like children of the devil. When we yell and scream at each other, when we part ways angrily because we just feel that we have irreconcilable differences and we find that there's a scary kind of delight in hurting the people with whom we disagree, we don't look at all like our Lord. We don't sound like our Lord. And the truth is the world that doesn't know him doesn't recognize us. Or, sadly, they do, and they go, well, you people aren't any different. You don't settle your differences any better. And boy, in our denomination right now, we're experiencing a time like that. What a sad thing it is that the one thing we don't do is represent the bond of Christian love that's supposed to unite us, that shared Holy Spirit that flows through all of our systems and makes us like our Savior, sons and daughters of God. 
However, John also reminds us that when we are sons and daughters of God and we act like it, it is a beautiful thing. A beautiful thing. Now, I want to close as I've been trying each week to share something with John Wesley from John Wesley with you because of our desire to find our roots and tie to them as well as we can. I want to close with this quote from John Wesley. This came from his uh, sermon number nine. If you haven't studied Wesley, just let me tell you that that this guy was, um, I'm trying to find a polite way to put it. Well, he, he came by the name Methodist, honestly. Sermon number nine, the great privilege of those who are born of God. He said this. New birth in the Holy Spirit brings about great inward changes that affect the entire nature of one's existence. Before the new birth, you do not possess spiritual senses and live as though under a thick veil that separates you from God. In this state, we have no means to hear God's voice or follow it, which results in sin. In the new birth, the eyes of understanding open and you see the invisible. Then you can receive the divine seed of the spirit that God constantly breathes in you and all the other children of God. With the Lord's eyes, we see each other more clearly and realize the brotherhood of Christian believers. You see, Wesley understood that the church had stumbled in his day in the same way it's stumbling right now. And he recognized that the transformational power that brings revival to the church and brings awakenings to the unchurched is the Holy Spirit. And having all of you here and so many from all aspects of Shiloh's life in one place at one time and online, thank you for worshiping with us online. Let me just say, it's time for revival. You know, because there's really never a bad time for revival. But we need revival now. We've revived our, our corporate awareness and our corporate gatherings. You know, this is a sign of revival considering where we were two years ago at this time. But the revival that will light a fire in this community and make Shiloh a beacon of light, not encumbered by a basket laid over top of it, but a real light shining on a hill. That light is spirit-filled children of God who worship because they can't help it and who love unconditionally putting others ahead of themselves and none higher than Christ. Let us pray to that end. Almighty God, thank you for your word. Now, embed it into our hearts. Let your spirit change our nature. Make us one in the bond of love. Make us the family of God by the indwelling of your Holy Spirit in every awakened soul. Let us be together something profound and unique in this community so that people might be changed and revived and made alive because of the witness of the family of God, we pray. Amen. Amen.